1540 AM, 103.9 FM. Cool. 103.9 FM, WTXY. Welcome to the Columbus Connection, a weekly public affairs program produced in, for, and about Columbus County, North Carolina. Now here's your host, the managing editor of Columbus County News, Jefferson Weaver. Hello, friends and neighbors. This is Jefferson Weaver with the Columbus Connection from WTXY and ColumbusCountyNews.com. I don't have a guest today, but I still have a few things I want to talk about. We've had two fatal overdoses that I know of among young people in our area in the past few weeks. There could be more. How someone reached the point in their addiction that they finally die because of it is beside the point. Every story is different. Some addicts are legitimate medical users who get hooked and others are too embarrassed to ask for help and don't know how to reach out. Others are just poor lost souls whose entire lives have been defined and guided by dysfunction and drug abuse. Still others started out experimenting and found themselves going down a rabbit hole that even Lewis in his most fevered opium-induced dreams about Alice in Wonderland couldn't imagine. It breaks my heart, honestly, when I think about the families of those I sometimes have to write about, the three and four and nowadays five generations caught up in substance abuse and crime. Every single one of these addicts, folks, is somebody's child. Does that mean they're not responsible for their actions? Of course not. Every single thing that you or I do has ramifications. Sometimes there's a place for mercy, sometimes there's justice, sometimes there's room for both. There are different reasons for every single addiction. And while I proudly admit to being old-fashioned, I lay much of the blame on the modern American man and those who have a major problem with men being masculine. I grew up with a loving but tough father. Were it not for Tom Weaver's influence, as well as that of my mother, of course, I don't like to think where I might have wound up. Papa was raised by his mom and his grandparents, as my grandfather was killed when he was a toddler in 1919. Sadly, most of my great-uncles were not the best examples for a growing boy. My dad had his first taste of alcohol when he was 14, and he could legitimately have been called an alcoholic by the time he was 18. He was an alcoholic in his 20s. Thankfully, he realized what was happening and threw the bottle away long before I was born and long before he wrecked his life, as my uncles and grandmother did with alcohol. He never swayed and reminded me of the damage done to his life and others by alcohol. While he didn't approve, he admitted some people could handle a drink. He set an example by not shaking a finger in the faces of those who chose to drink a beer or a glass of wine or a shot of liquor. Instead, he just politely refused when he was offered and politely explained if the issue was ever pressed. Like all young people, I rebelled a bit. I never used illegal drugs, not even marijuana, but one could say I drank more than my fair share for a number of years. I decided to quit finally when I started hiding my beverages of choice and began focusing on alcohol as a part of the day. The whole time, my father's words echoed in my mind. Sometimes it was quietly, sometimes it was loudly, especially when I was badly hungover. I was blessed to avoid an addiction to alcohol, per se, but I was headed down that path. And I had a lot of excuses, stress, pleasure, being social, etc. I finally recognized through the example set by my late father and the grace of God that I needed to change. Alcohol is a long, slow road to addiction for most folks. Modern narcotics, however, are an express highway to hell. We need men of courage to be willing to block that highway off and get our kids detoured to the right road. I know there are good fathers out there, similar to mine, even better in some circumstances. However, we as a society seem to have forgotten that. Fathers on television and in movies are either lovable, clueless idiots or symbols of everything that's bad. 
I fail to see how women or anyone else can be uplifted by marginalizing or even downplaying men. I know some incredible single moms who fill both parental roles because the men who helped make them mothers were, quite frankly, they were jerks. Sadly, I know others who are no better than the losers they had sex with, so the children are cast off on the grandparents like unwanted pets on a long country road. We need men of courage. We need biblical men, and I don't mean just those who lead their family in prayer and Bible study. I mean men as described in the Bible who lead their households, sacrifice for their families, and are not afraid of being shrieked at by the gender-confused furries whose feelings have been hurt because the wrong pronoun was used. The loss of purpose, the confusion, the desire to belong and be loved lead to self-destructive behavior, including drug addiction. Fathers can stop that. These biblical men of courage need to lead. They need to be willing to set aside their own wants and needs if they conflict with the safety, stability, and sanctity of a family. It's called being a grown-up. They need to be, well, men. Men and women are decidedly, fearfully, and wonderfully different. Regardless of what the politically correct wombats claim, there is no confusion in God's creation. Even before it became a social media meme, I said that it's funny how there's only male and female skeletons left behind when we die. Among dry bones, there are not 54 different preferred genders. That does not, by any means, mean that women are a weaker sex. That doesn't mean that women are without responsibility. It doesn't mean women can't be leaders. To think that way is ridiculous. I can't imagine the burden carried by a woman in pregnancy, birth, and nurturing of a child. Men and women need to be there to support each other and guide those children, whether or not the children are planned. To even indirectly punish a child because he or she was born at an inconvenient time is unconscionable. The kid didn't ask to be born, y'all. Both men and women have a responsibility to grow up and give up when they bring a child into the world, especially since it's easy to avoid creating a child in the first case. That's one of the many reasons I consider abortion to be murder, but that's another commentary. There are different strengths and weaknesses in both men and women, and when either sex is forced to or decides to take on the roles of the other, things get confusing for all involved. Sometimes it can't be helped. Most times it's the result of a man not being a man, either in this generation or a preceding one. I am not taking a commandment out of context when I quote Exodus. God was referring to worshiping idols, which could be anything from a stone to a bass boat to an extra hour sleep on Sunday. That selfishness is indeed an idol. He promises in chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, that the results of the sins of the father will be felt by the third and fourth generations. At the same time, however, he shows that that cycle can be broken. He promises that his mercy and peace will be placed upon those who follow his word for a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Where are you men of courage who are willing to stand fast and say no when society says yes? We need you more than ever. Men being men and women being women won't solve the drug crisis. It won't solve the unwanted child crisis but it will make a difference, a major difference, in the lives of generations that are currently being lost to drugs. Gentlemen, stand up and be a man. Encourage and guide your brothers, your sons, and the children of others. Ladies, raise your standards. We don't need another generation of opiate addicts. We need men and women, not overage, drug-addicted, aimless boys and girls. We'll be right back with more of the Columbus Connection right after this. Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. 
Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trust Pilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. ARW Home has warranty plans that cover your kitchen and laundry appliances, heating and air conditioning systems, electrical and plumbing systems, and much more. Call 800-201-1478 to customize your plan. Plus, ARW has partnered with Azurian to protect your new and used tablets, laptops, TVs, and other home tech from accidental damage and wear and tear. All plans come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-201-1478 now for your free quote. That's 800-201-1478. Welcome back, folks. This is Jefferson Weaver with the Columbus Connection. All my life, I've heard politicians proclaim that we have to prepare our children for the future. And the way to do that is through better schools and more funding for said schools. The Democrats are usually among the first to mix apples and oranges and call it lemonade by pulling this figure from one source, that figure from another, then adding them together to produce the result they want, which they claim can then be handled by teacher pay raises in diversity, equity, and abortion instructions in schools. Now, I've always been a fan of capitalism and letting a free market win, I think that probably holds a solution to some of our school problems right now. The current bill is called Choose Your School, Choose Your Future. It's being reviewed by the General Assembly this week. General Roy Cooper will once again grind his veto stamp into it, already claiming that North Carolina's poorest families would be paying for billionaires to have tax dollars for, for their children's education in private schools. By the way, North Carolina has four billionaires, all of whom have grown children. None of them are in school. That's beside the point. A decidedly anti-Christian group is claiming that public dollars will be able to be used to spread hatred and divisive dogma if parents choose to send their children to Christian schools. Apparently they're okay with Jewish or Muslim schools, however. I have no problem with parents sending their children to any legitimate certified school of their choice. Parents, not the public servants, have the right and responsibility to make grown-up choices about the values and quality of education their children should receive. They should make the best choice possible for their child because that's the responsibility of a parent. We talked about that a few minutes ago, y'all. Sometimes that means a religious-affiliated school. Sometimes it means a STEM academy. Sometimes it means a military academy. And yes, sometimes it means a plain old, good old-fashioned public school. I am a firm believer in letting parents choose whether kids go to school And I am a staunch advocate that each parent's tax dollars should follow their child. Kids from poor families should not be stuck in poorly performing schools. And please don't tell me that standardized testing makes for better schools. It's rare that a school is actually changed because it has poor test scores. Teaching to the test has replaced teaching to the subject in too many places because the bureaucrats want to be doggone sure that they don't lose funding. And funding is often tied to those tests. The only alternative is to allow parents to use the tax dollars set aside for each of their children to go to the best education possible for their kids. Bureaucrats and anonymous officials can't do that. Only parents can do that, and only parents should do that. The new bill that was approved by Solons and Raleigh basically says that every tax dollar that is collected for the education of a child of a poor family can follow that child to whatever school the parents so choose. 
It doesn't mean that they can choose a $75,000 a year semester private school, but it does mean that they can get out of a poor performing school in a bad neighborhood and go where survival until recess and retirement are not major concerns of the staff. Now, I am not, under any circumstances, broad-brushing all teachers and officials with this ambivalence towards the future. In fact, every single teacher and education professional I personally know is a warrior dedicated to the education of every child in their flock. They spend money out of their own pocket for supplies. They go the extra mile. They tutor children. They work nights. Folks, I'm not blowing smoke. I mean that. It takes heart and dedication to be a good teacher. But for too many years, the taxpayers have continued funding bad schools, which are often staffed by bad teachers. You don't get a bad school because of the children. You have a bad school because of leadership and delivery of a product, namely education. Allowing funding to follow students only guarantees that parents have more say in the upbringing of their children. It also has the effect of slowly defunding poor schools. In some communities, private schools will grow. In others, religious schools will grow. In others, charter schools will grow. But before you can point fingers at Christian schools, take note that the largest recipient under the current school voucher program is the Greensboro Islamic Academy. What is most important is that parents will have a way to make things better for their children. They can choose a school that's better suited to their child's temperament and potential or to their family's values. The more students move out of a bad school, the sooner that bad school will either be forced to improve or close. As we've seen numerous times, a good teacher can quickly get a new job, possibly even at the very school that's replacing the bad one, courtesy of the free market and parents who have been empowered to do what's right for their kids. For too long, parents in a certain income bracket have had no choice but to tolerate poor schools for their kids. With this new law, they can truly choose their child's school and choose a brighter future for everyone. We'll be right back with more of the Columbus Connection. If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. 800-741-5819. 800-741-5819. That's 800-741-5819. Paid for by Legal Alert Line. Welcome back, folks. This is Jefferson Weaver with Columbus Connection. The State House this past week was a noisy place. Solon's passed two major bills to protect children, and a lot of people didn't like either one of them. One of those bills increases our state's restrictions on abortions, limiting the destruction of a fetus to 12 weeks, except in extreme medical cases. Currently, an expectant mother can kill an unborn child up to 20 weeks. 
The bill also contains language to fund adoption and foster programs, improve and streamline the adoption process, and educate teens and young people on preventing unwanted pregnancies in the first case. It's a well-thought-out package that does not prevent any mother from making a serious decision about the life she carries inside her. The other law, which should never have been needed, prohibits the use of gender reassignment surgery and puberty blockers on minors. Blockers prevent a child's natural development as a male or female. So-called reassignment surgery involves mastectomies on girls and castration of little boys. Protesters reportedly tried to disrupt House proceedings in Raleigh on both issues. It's interesting that most of the media played down the protest, which some Solons noted they were concerned about their physical safety. As is usually the case, the truth is likely somewhere in the middle. One thing about which there can be no doubt is that these troubled souls think a six-year-old child should be able to make a life-altering decision when some of them have trouble tying their own shoes. There are some pontificating proponents who claim sexuality is present in children as young as six months of age, but three years is more likely to be quote-unquote normal. These sick individuals are fighting for the right to castrate a little boy because he may sometimes play with his sister's dolls. On top of that, some of the leading pediatric hospitals in the state are pushing this mental illness. Duke, UNC Chapel Hill Hospital, and East Carolina Medical Centers, all of which do incredible work helping children, are now offering gender reassignment and assessment centers in their children's hospitals. You don't have to believe me. You can look it up. Your tax dollars help with this, by the way, because these are public hospitals and public universities. The application forms start for children as young as two. It's ridiculous that there are birth givers out there, I won't call them parents, who are so eager to mutilate their children to show how woke they are. I have hounds who are better parents. Heck, I've rescued possums who were better, searcher, better suited to nurture their young. Goats are among the most amorous creatures in nature, but none of mine have any confusion about their genders. Why is it so dang difficult for some humans that they want to press it on little kids? Why in the world are people so passionate about murdering unborn children or mutilating the ones who were lucky enough to be born? Of course, Governor Roy Cooper has promised to veto both the abortion bill and the children's protection bill if they come across his desk. He used all usual language to call supporters ugly names without actually using any ugly words. His protege, Attorney General Josh Stein, has hinted around lawsuits over the bills if the legislature has the courage to override Cooper's veto. It's sad that we even have to discuss why it's wrong to kill a baby, castrate a little boy, or ensure that a little girl will never have breasts. It's sad that the legislature has to even discuss such things. But it's reassuring that we have some in the General Assembly who have the spine to truly stand up for and protect children. Thank you for joining us for the Columbus Connection. Dissenting opinions are not only welcome, they're encouraged. Come on, get in here, folks. Sit down and talk to me. We always have room for thoughtful points of view. You can contact us via Facebook if you'd like to come sit down and talk. There's not going to be any attacks. There's not going to be any cussing. There's not going to be any insults or potentially libelous material. We can all be grown-ups and find some common ground no matter how badly we disagree. We want to have thoughtful, meaningful discussions. Well, maybe we can work some things out. For WTXY, ColumbusCountyNews.com, this is Jefferson Weaver. Make it a great week, and thank you for listening to The Columbus Connection. This has been The Columbus Connection with Jefferson Weaver. If you have a story that you want to share with us or a comment on a previous program, 
you can email us at columbusconnection at columbuscountynews.com. The Columbus Connection is produced by Jones Media Partners, and the program is recorded live at the WTXY Studios in downtown Whiteville, North Carolina. Our in-studio producer is Daryl Jackson. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Columbus Connection. Thanks for listening. The Voice of Whiteville. You can say that again. Ooh, 103.9.